0: so good to see you. It's so good to have the choir back, right? It's been, it's been almost it's going on two years, and we're thankful. Thank you guys for being willing to serve and use your gifts. But as we've gathered here this morning, it's my honor to welcome you here. And how blessed we are that we can gather together and we can sing and praise the name of Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts for worship, I just want to read this quote by Warren Wiersbe. As we think about our hearts and turning our attention toward him, it says, Great names come and go, but the name of Jesus remains. The devil still hates it. The world still opposes it but God still blesses it, and we can still claim it. In the name of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door of prayer and the treasury of God's grace. It's the weapon that defeats the enemy and the motivation that compels our sacrifice and service. It's the name that causes our hearts to rejoice and our lips to sing praise. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we prepare our hearts for worship. God, thank you that we are privileged to come into your presence. Lord, we can boldly approach your throne. Lord, we can declare your greatness freely. And God, thank you for our church family. Lord, how you bless us so greatly. And Lord, help us today to turn our attention completely to you. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. And may you be honored and glorified through this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.
1: the name above every name, the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. I want to read a passage from Matthew's gospel, Jesus speaking, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. He says this, come to me, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord wants you to come to him this morning. You're going to have that opportunity where you're at, where you're standing. Or I want to invite you to come in just a few moments and join us in prayer. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Do we not find rest for our soul? Peace for our inner man. And Jesus said these last words, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to pray for a few people this morning there in your bulletin. Sandra Presley, I want you to continue to pray for her. I want you to pray for little Finney Watson, a little four-year-old boy with cancer. I want you to pray that God just raise him up. And then I want you to pray for Fred Bumgarner. He's still in the hospital at Iredell. Talked to Frankie just a minute ago. Pray for Fred this morning and Dinah Purser and Greg Barr. Remember those. You come and join me in prayer this morning. Thank you. <laughs> We're so grateful that we can come just as we are. And Lord, you take our burden. Lord, you take our difficulties. And Father, you're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You walk with us through life because of your ever presence and your glory that lives in us. The Holy Spirit who sealed us into that day of redemption until we see you one day. Father, sometimes life is difficult. But, Father, we're so grateful this morning that you're a very present help in time of need and trouble. That means you're here. And, Father, we just want to acknowledge your presence this morning. Father, may you be glorified today. May you be honored. May you be praised. And, Father, may we worship you in spirit and in truth and set ourselves aside. And, Father, live for you. Father, I pray this morning for Sandra Presley. I pray for Danny and the family. She's going through a difficult time. Lift her up. I pray for little Finny. Lord, our heart cries out that you'd let that little boy live. Lord, that you'd bring a miracle that only you can do. You're the great physician. And Father, help that family in Jesus' name. And Father, be with Fred Bumgarner this morning as he's still in the hospital. Continue to be with Dinah as she's recovering. And Father, be with Greg Barr this morning. I pray you'd be with ease in need. And Father, all those needs that are here this morning, as we call on your name, Lord, we just cast our care upon you, for you care for us. Lord, take our burden. Take our difficulties and carry us through. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us yourself that we might know you and, be, and that we're born again. And Father, we pray you'd bless this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.
2: for um, being willing to serve, and uh, looking forward to hearing you for the next, uh, rest of the time that we're in here. I just want to make a couple of announcements. The first one is this. Tonight's Bible study will be at 5 p.m. It'll be in the Coed 6 classroom. That's uh, what we call Steve Lackey's classroom, and many of you know where that is, and it'll start at 5 o'clock. We usually start right at 5 o'clock sharp, um, and it usually lasts between 35 and 45 minutes, so we'd encourage you to be there last Sunday's uh, message was great. I thought I thought it was excellent and the topic is excellent. And I also want to mention this. On January 30th, we're going to have a baptismal service. So if you need to be baptized or someone in your family needs to be baptized, please contact the church office or one of the staff people so that we can uh, set that up with you and we'll talk to you about um, what all has to happen that day of baptism. But we're going to have that service in the sanctuary. That'll be on January the 30th. So that'll be the next time that we're in the sanctuary to be the first time we've been in there in almost two years and uh we're gonna be in the sanctuary uh when you made the vote uh to be over here that means you're gonna be over here most of the time but you're gonna be in the sanctuary uh, a lot as well so uh we uh we don't want you thinking that we're never going to be in a sanctuary because we are it's the sanctuary and um so we're going to be over there several times a year uh having services um so uh don't feel like you're never going to be over there because you are going to be over there also if uh if uh, there's a funeral for a church member and they want to use the sanctuary, of course you can use the sanctuary. Weddings, you can use the sanctuary. Uh, so there's not going to be a lot changing. You'll just be over here more than over there, but you're still going to be over in the sanctuary. Uh, but the next service in the sanctuary will be January the 30th, and we'll have a baptismal service. That morning, I want to remind you, it is a requirement for membership. Uh, we believe here at East Tales of Baptist Church, like the Bible teaches, that every baptism is by immersion after a person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and that is a requirement for membership here. So if you're looking to be a member, if you've not been through Class 101, contact us and we'll help you with that as well. So if you have your Bibles, stand with me and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will probably be the last message in the series, The Baby in the Manger. Um, we talked last week about how that Jesus Christ was the baby in the manger, but he is the judge of the law. So we looked at Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. The first message we talked about how that Jesus Christ was God in flesh, fully God and fully man. Then we talked about how Jesus is the only savior of the world. There's no one goes to heaven except through Jesus Christ. He's the only way we must be saved. Which means this, all of the religions and cults are wrong. Christianity is the only one that's right. And you must place your faith and trust in Jesus. That's a non-negotiable. That's that's the exclusiveness of the gospel. You must place your faith and trust in Jesus. And also, when we talked about Jesus is coming back, and then he's the judge of the lost, we talked about this, that you have a court date awaiting you. Okay? And as a Christian, you have a date awaiting you. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, we make it our aim or our ambition, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Paul told the church at Corinth, your life should be well-pleasing to the Lord. That should be your aim, or that should be your ambition in life. You, You can have a lot of other ambitions, but everything's undergirded and laid on the foundation of my goal is to be pleasing to Him. Then he makes this statement for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian who has ever lived and placed their faith and trust in Jesus will appear before Jesus one day at the Bema seat. That each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done. So your life, look at me, your life matters. Every moment of your life matters. Don't think that it does not. Every moment of your life matters. What you do for God, no matter how big or small in your mind, is huge to the Lord. It's huge. Your life matters. Let me read that again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one, individually, each person, I'll stand before Jesus and give an account of my life, not yours. You'll give an account of your life, not mine. Children, look at me. You'll give an account of your life, not your parents. They can't stand before you. Before the Lord for you. And they'll give an account of their lives. Okay? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive, and you're going to receive something, things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then Paul makes this statement in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, both saved and lost. We persuade you. We persuade you. Paul would say this, Salvation is of the Lord, but I'm persuading you with everything within me. Give your heart to Jesus. Then he would tell the church at Corinth, because they were kind of a coronal church for a while, give your life to Jesus. Have a bema seat mentality with everything you do. That's why Paul said this. We're all going to work Monday, right? Most of us work as unto the Lord. Then Paul told this to the church at Corinth. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Your life matters more than you think. And one day, you and I as Christians will stand before the baby in the manger who's going to be our judge and there's not one of us going to say this, I wish I hadn't have done so much for the church. Or I wish I hadn't have given so much to the church. I wish I hadn't have done so much for Jesus. I gave, the, I gave the Lord too much of my time. Not one person is going to say that. Most of us, myself included, will probably say this, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have done more. Do you have a BEMA seat mentality? I hope you do by the time this message is over. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I pray that before this message is over, that the Holy Spirit of God would convict your heart and you'd say yes to Jesus today. We're going to give an invitation at the end of the service. And I'm going to encourage you to come and commit your life afresh and anew to the Lord. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And Father, I'm reminded, Lord, this, this verse is very convicting for me. That one day I'll stand before you and give an account of my life since October 30th, 1990. Since the night I prayed to receive Christ, I will give an account of my life. Father, that is a very convicting thought. Father, there our sins will not be judged, but our motives will. The fact that you've supernaturally gifted us, what did we do with our talents, with our gifts? Did we bury them, or did we use them? Father, each one of us will stand before you, that baby in the manger the one we sing about, the one we preach about, teach about, the, one, the person we pray to. We'll stand before you and give an account of our lives. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, regardless of our past, from this day forward, to will say, Lord, give me a beam seat mentality. And Lord, use us for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I remember early in my Christian walk, I'd go to revivals, I'd listen to every preacher you could think of, okay? And still do uh, listen to a lot of preachers. And I remember when it come to the subject of judgment, I would hear preachers say this as a Christian. Okay, what is God going to judge? And he'd say back then we had VCRs. You remember those? He said, God's got a big VCR. He's going to play the VCR of your life on a screen, and everything you've ever done is going to be broadcast for all of heaven to see. And I thought, man, that's an awful thought, is it not? Is that not an awful thought? Is God going to broadcast my whole life before the whole world? every good and bad thing I've ever done? Of course not. He's not. Think about this. Will God judge my sin at this, at this place? Are we going to be rewarded? Think about this thought. Will heaven be the same for everyone? We saw last week, hell's not. Is heaven going to be the same for every person? As glorious and as wonderful as it is, will it be the same for every person? David Jeremiah said this, and I love his, this quote. He said, at the Bema Seat, that's what the word judgment seat there means. At the Bema Seat of Christ, earthly wreaths and trophies and newspaper clippings and Super Bowl rings will be long forgotten. They'll be no more important than brushing your teeth or buying a newspaper at the corner store. But what we do now for eternity, even the smallest deeds, you said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, I'll see that. Even the smallest deeds will count forever. You get one shot at this life, folks. One shot. Oftentimes we ask, is my life amounting to much? Does my life matter? Yes, it does. You may say this, no one notices what I do. Does anyone see what I do? Do they even care? God does. Even the smallest things. You may never be recognized by this church, by the county in this lifetime, but God sees everything. And we're rewarding you accordingly. Rewards are God's idea and His doing. I love what David Jeremiah said. He set the criteria for them and He will give them out. Rewards arise from the heart of God. He is a rewarding Heavenly Father. It's okay to think about heavenly rewards because God does. Christ offers us the incredible opportunity to trade the temporary goods and currency of this life for eternal rewards. According to the Bible, God is keeping track of what we do for Him every day and will bless you because of it. Great blessings awaits if you serve the Lord. The idea of rewards are throughout the New Testament, which we'll see, but they're also all throughout the Old Testament. Listen to what Genesis 15:1 says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, or Abram, in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. God speaking to Ruth or through in in Ruth 2:12 said, This may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, will do this. Psalm fifty-eight eleven says, Then people will say, Surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. And then in Psalm 62, 12, it says, And with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. With that said, the first point I want to make is this. You will be judged one day. Notice the verse together. Verse 9, it says this. For we must, look at the word must. Jesus used that word a lot. He said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must. What that means is this, that word must in the Greek means, it refers to that which is not optional. You will be judged one day by Jesus, your life. Daniel Webster said this, who had a healthy outlook on life. He said this, The greatest thought that has ever entered my mind is that one day I'll have to stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. He understood what this verse meant. You must. We must must. Think about this. A common misconception which arises from this English translation is that God will mete out a just retribution for sins in the believer's life. And some measure a punitive punishment for sins will result. This is not a punitive judgment because you're not on trial for your sins. Listen. We get this wrong oftentimes, especially in this county. This is not a punitive judgment because you're not on trial for your sins. You're not. It's a reward judgment. Jesus will reward us on the things that we did in this life that are eternal, things that deal with the church, universal and local, things that brought glory to his name, because the Bible says when you receive Christ, you have been justified by faith. Justification is a legal term. Your salvation is legal in the courts of heaven. In justification, God imputes the perfect righteousness of Christ to the believer's account, then declares the redeemed one fully righteous for all times. You, you may not look righteous or act righteous, but in God's eyes, you're righteous. Justification changes the, ju- ju- the judicial standing of the sinner before God. The one justified is free from all ground of condemnation and is pronounced righteous for all eternity. This is for all eternity. It's irrevocable. It's irreversible. Nothing or no one can change this. You may say, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. I know what Jesus has done. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, by faith, you're justified. Listen to this. Justify is a legal term having to do with the law and the courtroom where it represented the legally binding verdict of the judge. It's what happens when God alters our permanent record in heaven forever. When a sinner trusts Christ and God declares him righteous, that declaration never changes. It is irrevocable and irreversible. You are justified. I had a funeral one time in the past of a person who, had, who was a Christian. Good, good person, had some weak moments. And some of those moments landed this person in the newspaper, all right? Don't you, don't you love the fact that if you do something good, you may not be in the paper. If you do something bad, you're probably going to be in the paper, right? This person was in the paper, okay? But this person died, okay? And everybody knew this person's reputation. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I had many conversations with a person, and they loved Jesus. They loved me. They loved the church. They just had some weak moments. Now, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever had weak moments? Oh, my goodness. You know what I preach at this person's funeral? Justification. You realize people clapped. I said, the person you knew in God's eyes was righteous since their salvation. And I said, is this person saved? Amen, brother. All right, they're justified. All that stuff you read in the paper don't matter now. Justified. You're not going to stand before Jesus one day and give an account of every little sin you committed. Aren't you thankful? A lost person? Yep, you will a saved person. No, why? Because you are justified. One of the greatest words in the Bible is redemption. The second is justification. That's why Paul said to the church at Rome, you know, in Romans 7, he said, the things I don't want to do, I do them sometimes. Anybody? The things I should do, sometimes I don't do them. Anybody? And then he said in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. You're not going to stand before Jesus one day and the VCR of your life, VHS of your life, is going to play out every second of your life. But you will give an account of certain things. You will be judged one day. Being judged should be something that motivates us to live for Jesus. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, that he drew courage and was motivated by the fact that Jesus... When he comes back, he's going to reward his children. Notice what Jesus said in Revelation 22:12 on the screen. He said this, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to, to render to every man according to what he has done. To the church. He's talking to the church. And you're going to stand before the judgment seat, the Bema seat. Listen to what one scholar said. In Greek culture, Bema referred to the elevated platform on which victorious athletes received their crowns much like the medal stand in the modern Olympic Games. In the New Testament, it was used as a judgment seat, how Paul uses it here. It's used of the judgment seat of Pilate in Matthew 27, of Herod in Acts 12, the judgment seat of Festus in Acts 25. There was also a bema in Corinth where unbelieving Jews unsuccessfully accused Paul before the Roman proconsul in Acts 18. A person was brought before the bema. To have his or her deeds examined in a judicial sense for indictment or exoneration or for the purpose of recognizing and rewarding some achievement. Writing to the Romans of this same event, Paul said this in Romans chapter 15. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of God. There that word is again. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So that each of us will give an account of himself to God. When we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, everything that is worthless and empty will be burned up, and only that which can stand, the testifier, will remain. 1 Corinthians 3, you don't have to turn there, but Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. He says this, Now if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, that day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, And fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work with which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet through fire. There were two um, kinds of materials. You had gold, silver, and precious stones. They made it, and the ones that were burned up were wood, hay, and stubble. And what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is you're going to stand before the Lord one day and your works are either gold or they're wood. Just the bottom line. And God is going to look at your motives, your time, your talent, your treasure. What did you use? When we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the purpose of the judge will not be to punish unfaithfulness, but to reward faithfulness. That thought should motivate you every day of your life. Do you want to be rewarded by God? You should. Notice what it motivated Moses. Notice this verse in Hebrews 11. Oftentimes we overlook this. Think about Moses. He regarded disgrace for the name of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. You know Moses was one of the most educated men to ever live? One of the most educated men. He was brought up by Pharaoh. So, some, some of the greatest thinkers to ever live were the Egyptians. Moses was educated. He was going to be probably next in line to be Pharaoh. All the comforts of Egypt in the palace. And Moses, and Moses says this, He regarded disgrace for the name of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, Because he was looking ahead to what? His reward. Moses had a beam of seat mentality. He said, I could stay here, be a good Christian here in the palace, or I could lead God's people in the desert. Leave the palace, live in the desert, suffer disgrace, and he did, for the name of Christ, because there's something greater than this life. This life is this quick, Moses would say. Forty years in the desert, not much compared to eternity. Look at that verse again. He regarded disgrace for the name of Christ of much greater value, much greater value. It doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. The palace or standing before Jesus for all eternity and being rewarded by Him, there's no comparison. How many of us choose the palace over the desert because we want this temporal comforts of life? How many of us? Oh, it's so easy to fall into that trap. So easy. He left the palace in the position and went to the desert because of the reward that awaited. Paul said this. He said, I run my life in a certain way not to get a crown of laurel leaves that will rot, but in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25, he says to get a crown that will last forever. The last thing Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4 before he died was, I'm going to see, receive the crown of life, he told Timothy. Right before he died, he was motivated by this thought, I'm going to be rewarded. And he encouraged all believers to be motivated by rewards. In Galatians 6, 1 Timothy 6 and 2 Timothy 2, 5, he talks about that. You will be judged one day by Jesus, and you are a steward of the things he has given you. You're going to be judged, first point. The second point is this, you will be rewarded. There's a day of rewards coming. God promises great reward for all those who have served him faithfully in Revelation 11. In 1 Corinthians, again, Paul says this. After I just read 1 Corinthians 3, over in 1 Corinthians 4, he says this. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. God rewards generously. He promises a return of 100 times in Matthew 19, 29. That's a 10,000% interest, a return far out of proportion to the amount invested. What does God reward? Notice some of the things. This is not an exhaustive list. Exhaustive God rewards us for doing good works. Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 6, Romans 2. He rewards you for doing good works. What are those good works? They're just good works. Good things. You do good things for people, God rewards that. He sees that. Nobody else may ever see it, okay? But God sees it. God sees everything you do that is good. Everything. You may think, well, that's very insignificant. Do you realize that little things, little things, send in a card to somebody that encourages them. You know, oftentimes, you don't even know how much that encourages another person, do we? That's a little thing, right? Making a phone call, thinking somebody. If somebody sang in church and you say, oh, that was good, sometimes that'll just make them sing again, won't it? Think about that. Do good things. Do, you can take that all the way up to the extreme. God rewards us for doing good works. God rewards us for denying ourselves, Matthew 16. See, there are some things that you shouldn't do as a Christian. And when you deny yourself some of those things, God says, I'm going to bless you for that. Some of you deny yourselves certain work opportunities. Some of you, some people deny themselves the pleasures of America and go to another country to serve the Lord. Showing compassion on the needy. I don't know how many people I could go to in this church right now, if there was anybody, somebody in this community and you didn't even know them, if you didn't even know them, and I said, listen, this person needs help, can you help me? They would do it in a heartbeat. God will reward you, and I hope he does a lot. I don't know how many times I've done that to this church, outside of this pulpit, would go to men and say, listen, can you help this person? They need it. Look at the word need. And they do it. And I think to myself, God, I hope you bless them on Judgment Day. Bless their business. Bless their work. Bless their family. Bless everything. But then again, God can bless you in this life. He'll bless you in another life. Look, treating our enemies kindly, or what about this? Just treating people kindly. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's not a crown for gossip in heaven. There's not a crown for complaining in heaven. God says, if you treat people kindly, I'll bless you and reward you because of it. And I'll say this to you, some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life were not in prison. Amen, Scotty? Mm-mm. They were in churches in Alexander County. Hey, you want to see how much people love you and how kind they are? Do something wrong. And see if you're not the topic of Facebook. And you'll see how nice, good Christian people in Alexander County are. Why don't you be kind and show a little bit of grace? Because you know what Spurgeon said when he went to death row in England? He went to see these men. I think there was, I don't know how many men were down there. They are about to be executed. All right, all guilty. Spurgeon came out in the newspaper and said, what would you think? He said, but for the grace of God, there I go. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be right there with them. Why don't you have that mentality when something happens to somebody in this county? Because it's going to happen. Something happens to all of us, does it not? None of us are perfect. We all have weak moments. Show a little bit of kindness. Look, generous giving. God blesses that. Even the smallest things you do, God will bless and reward you for it. Those who persevere under persecution. Thankfully, we live in America. But do you realize that there's more persecution now on this planet than there ever has been in the history of the world? And I pray, God, I pray that you'll bless them on Judgment Day. Jesus told this to Peter, he said, nobody's left, mother, brother, father, wife, in this life, that I'm not going to reward abundantly in the next. And what he's saying is, they're going to take your life, Peter. He told him, they're going to take your life, and I'm going to bless you. Took Paul's life. John died at an early age. Cut his head off, put it on a platter. Come on now. All these people you read about in the Bible, most of them died at an early age. And God says, I'll bless them one day a life of godliness will be richly rewarded. A life of godliness will be richly rewarded. Think about that for a moment. When we extend hospitality, Jesus said this, you'll be blessed although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And Paul said, I just want to remind you there's a timetable for the harvest. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Why? Because your life, your influence, you know why God will not judge you when you die? Because your influence lives on forever. It does. Listen, I've been a part of three building projects, and I gave money to everyone. I started giving to this one in 2007, and I'm going to give to it till I die. You say, we're not building nothing. I don't care. We're going to build something someday. The next guy may want to build something, right? And I'm going to give to it till I die. Whatever happens to this building at the other churches, I'm a part of it till till they're done, brother. Think about people you lead to the Lord. You've you've influenced that life, and everything they've influenced, God, God, God holds you... Uh, we'll reward you for it, think about this and I, I love what one pastor said, he talked about this person by the name of Edward Kimball he said you never heard of him rest assured most people have never heard of him Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class but also sought to win each one to the Lord personally, he decided he would be intentional with every single last one of one young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. In the stockroom on that Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God, with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But the story is not in there. Actually, that's where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God. His name was Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a professional baseball player had a day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings. Thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and prating it through the streets, advertising his preaching meetings. When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man then in high school vowed he they wouldn't go to hear this man preach. But Billy Frank, as they called him and his family, would eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school, and the male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. God bless him. When students decided to go interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go to, just to see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more than any other person who has ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. This fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his boys. Edward Kimball never met Billy Graham, but one day he's going to stand before Jesus and be rewarded for leading Dwight L. Moody to the Lord, who eventually led to the salvation of Billy Graham. See, you can't be judged when when you die because your influence lives on and on. Maybe not in your mind, but in the mind of God it does. And God said he would give crowns. Notice these crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. They'll be on the screen. You have the crown of life, which is given for faithfulness to Christ. In persecution or martyrdom, Paul mentioned that before he died. The incorruptible crown given for determination, discipline, and victory in the Christian life. This is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9. The crown of rejoicing, that's given for evangelism, like we just talked about, and discipleship. Paul mentions that in Philippians 1. The crown of glory was given for representing Christ in a position of spiritual leadership. All you deacons, look at me. This is your crown. If you don't serve or say no to it, it's not yours, right? Spiritual leadership, positions of leadership all throughout the church, the crown of glory... And then the crown of righteousness is given for joyfully purifying and readying oneself to meet Christ at his return. Paul mentions this in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. This is not an exhaustive list. There may be more crowns. There may be more rewards. We don't know. But what are you going to do with those crowns? I heard David Jeremiah preach on this the other day, and he said this. And he got, he got, he got emotional. David, don't get too emotional. He said, The Bible says in Revelation 4 that you're, you're going to take your crown and lay it at the feet of Jesus. What an honor that would be. I've saw football players win awards and and Olympians win medals and they'll say, I'm going to give this to my dad because he sacrificed so much. We moved all over the country just so he saw potential in me. And because of that, I'm going to give this to my dad or I'm going to give this to my mom. You're going to be able to give something to Jesus, friends. This life matters. The final thing is this: Look, be, you are a steward of your time, your talent, and your treasure. You'll give an account of these three things. Notice first thing: the time. Notice what Paul says: Make the most of every opportunity. Look at that word "opportunity." That's a word for time, kairos in the Greek. It means it's a God-given opportunity that lasts for a small time. Listen to me. This will help you this year. It is a it is a God-given opportunity that lasts for a small time. Sometimes when people come into my office, you know what I think to myself? This is probably the only time I'll see this person and I'm going to share the gospel with them. This is an open door. This is an opportunity. When I worked in furniture, I'd meet truck drivers and some some guys would come in every day. Some guys would come in once a month. Some guys would come in once a year. And I would say, God, this is my opportunity to share Jesus with these people. I remember going to solitary confinement at the Alexander County Prison. And I said, this will be the only time I'm here. The chaplain said, Jamie, I want you to, I got to tell this young man some Pretty tough news. Will you come? And he, he, I said, yes. And I said, I'll never be back in solitary, I hope. All right? Tough place. One well, of the worst places, the worst place in Alexander County is solitary confinement at the prison. This little young boy, he said, Jamie, you got anything to share share with this guy? I said, this is my opportunity, and I shared Jesus with him. My opportunity. In that terrible environment, right? So you're going to have opportunity this year. What are you going to do with it? Once time is gone, it's gone forever. When God was calling me into the ministry, I knew this this conviction wouldn't last forever. There comes a time you're going to say yes or no to me, Jamie. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable, church. If God's called you to do it, He's equipped you to do it, and He'll see you through it. Amen. The second thing is this, not only that, but talent. Jesus shared this parable. I gave one person five talents, one person two talents, one person one talent. And then when he comes back, he's the person at Five Talents says, oh, I, I invested it. You said, well, here's more. Joy, enter into the joy of the Lord. The one that had two, he said, oh, I invested it. He said, well, here it is. Here's two more. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And then the, the one with one said this, but he who had received one went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his Lord's money or his Lord's talent. You know what a denier I was back in those days, a day's wage? What Jesus had given these people was worth 20 years of money, which, which tells us this, your talent... Your spiritual gift is very valuable, and God has blessed us all differently, hasn't He? God has given you a spiritual gift. Do not bury that talent this year. See, some of you, God is called to teach, and you're never going to teach unless you say yes this year. You're not. I was right there with you. I was not a public speaker. Trust me, not a public speaker. But God had different plans for my life. Some of you this year, when we have deacon nominations, God's you're going to be nominated. Look at me, men. And I'll tell you this, be a man. Just be a man this year and serve if God's called. They don't nominate you just to nominate you. Somebody sees something in you. Maybe it's God seeing something in you. Some of you need to be in the choir. Isn't it amazing how people can sing all over Alexander County you can't sing in church? Was that not a blessing this morning? It's just as much a part of this worship as my preaching. One thing you'll do in heaven is not hear me preach, but you'll hear the choir sing, amen? That's what we're going to do in heaven. Okay? Don't bury your talent this year. And then the final thing is this. Notice your treasure. Look, here's a lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into an eternal home. What does that mean? Jesus shared a parable. You know what he said about money? He said, listen, use your money to glorify God. He said, in this life that we're living in, worldly people are shrewd. They're more shrewder than the church, and they use their money to make money, But it's temporal. And then he says, what you need to do as as a Christian is invest your money so that when people die, they'll welcome you into heaven because your money, your influence led them to Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Your treasure, your treasure, I heard a funny story, I don't remember what preacher shared the story, but he talked about this guy, he was a rough dude and he got saved, right? Preacher says, we're going to baptize you. Everything that goes into the water is the Lord's. Everything, when you come back up, it's all Jesus's. They baptized a guy and he went down, he held his wallet up, didn't go under. (laughs) That's like a lot of people, is it not? God, you can have everything but my money. Hey, when I first got saved, I I went to CVCC and I made $50 a week at Taylor's Polstern. And I gave my local church five books of it. And I've done that ever since. Every since. Hadn't missed a penny of it. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus said this, that there's going to be some people that got saved. You don't even know them. They're going to welcome you with open arms because they're in heaven because of what you invested. Uh, God don't bless greedy people too much, does he? He doesn't. He does not bless greedy people all that much. And I never preach on giving here. You know why? Because you give. We're blessed. Last year was the greatest giving year in the history of this church. So I'm not begging you to do something God's already called you to do. I'm not going to do it. I remember watching the movie The Schindler's List. I'm not telling you to watch it, but I watched it. All right? Oscar Schindler was a German, real, real character, German businessman who had factories. And during World War II, he hired Jewish people to work in his factories because they were cheaper. Okay? He was part of the Nazi party. So he understood part of what was going on. He didn't understand everything, but he understood part of it. Then he found out that they were killing Jews, or no, putting them in concentration camps. So, well, they're just arresting them. He'd bribe some of the SS officers and say, don't take my people, I've got to have his factory. Then in the movie, now I don't know if this happened in real life because they take kind of, kind of some liberties with movies. Oscar goes to one of the concentration camps and he's talking to one of the leaders because he's part of the Nazi party. He is part of the Nazi party. And he walks outside, and there's stuffed ashes falling, like it's snowing. I remember he does like this. Where's these ashes coming from? You know where they're coming from? They're pushing dead Jewish bodies into an incinerator, outside incinerator, and they're being burned up, and those are the ashes of people. It devastated his life. He didn't understand. They're killing these people? And see, when you work with somebody, you grow an attachment to them, don't you? And he said, these are good people. And he says, i got to find a way to keep these 1,200 people in my factories from going to the concentration camp because what I found out is they're going to die. And true story, he used every bit of his income to bribe these officials and not one of those people died. You can go on YouTube, they have him sitting in in a crowd and they recognize him before he died. And every person in that crowd was a Jewish person that was still alive and they stood up. And you know, what the, Jews, the Jews have this statement. that says this, you save one life, you save the world. Okay? And Oscar Schindler, at the end of that movie, said this. He said, if I'd, have, if I'd have sold my ring, I could have saved one more person. If I'd have sold this, I could have saved one more person. See, you see then the importance of what you're doing. Think about how much more it is when you share the gospel with somebody. You share the gospel with somebody. Because of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Do you realize that people will be in heaven because of you saying yes to Jesus? Saying yes to Jesus. This is the prayer you should pray if you're a Christian this morning. God, give me a bema seat mentality this year. I want you to stand with me if you will. I'm going to ask your musicians to come. We're going to give a, give an invitation. Of course, you know this, you can come to this altar and pray or you can pray right where you are. If you're here today and you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, we have staff here if you want to talk to one of us. You, of, of course, you can do that. Uh, If not, you can pray on your own. We'd encourage you to place your faith and trust in Christ. You can talk to me after the service if you want to. If you're a Christian today, listen, you need to make this commitment with your time, your talent, and your treasure. That covers it all. Jesus, I give my time, my talent, my treasure to you this year. Jesus, I give myself to you. Jesus, give me a Bema seat mentality. Sharon, you lead us in this song and this altar's open for you this morning if you want to respond. eyes with me just for a moment in the quietness of this moment just pray and say God give me a beam seat mentality it's just amazing to me that God sees the small things we do and is going to reward them in such a special way God may never call you to preach, teach or sing and that's okay he's called you to something greater whatever he's called you to do is great in his eyes Fathers, we come to you in prayer, Lord, to help us as a church and, Lord, as individuals not to waste our time, not to bury our talents. Lord, you, we're all different, and that's okay. And, Lord, not to bury our treasure either, to spend it all on ourselves. Lord, help us to be generous toward the kingdom and toward the lost, to the poor, to the needy. Father, help us to use our goods for your glory. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. We thank you for the baby in the manger. And we thank you for what that means to us as individuals. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together. Amen. Just one moment before you leave, I'm going to ask John to come up here. John's been coming to East tales for quite a long time. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you remember this or not, but when I was at another church as a youth pastor, John was a, was a member there as well. So we've, we've known each other for quite a long time. And I really appreciate John Brisky and his family, and he comes this morning to join East Tales Baptist Church. Do we have a motion to accept him as a member? Do we have a second? All in favor, raise your hand say welcome to East tales. And, John, we're going to give you this brick. And we'll, we'll have other people joining on, on January the 30th, but we give this brick just basically to say that we're all the same here. Uh, uh, it takes all of us to build God's kingdom. Amen. We're all just one brick in in that. We're not going to shake hands at the end of this service because of COVID, but I know that you'll want to, want to welcome him to East Hills of Baptist Church in your own time, your own way. John, welcome. We love you, brother. I really appreciate you. God bless you. You're dismissed. The Bible study starts tonight at 5 p.m. Thank you so much. God bless you.